You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Ooh, savage. I like to keep it real simple. You guys know what time it is. We are here today doing a little bit of therapy. Therapy that everybody, I think, would want to do. We're here with sex therapist Jessica O'Reilly. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. I'm telling you right now, before we even get started, put your earbuds in or do not listen to this in the grocery on speaker because we've had people do that or even in doctor's offices they've listened to it on speaker and they're like trying to hurry up and like (laughs) shut it off (laughs) so this is not one for the kiddos this is not one it's I'm not a speaker person right now make sure that you guys (laughs) listen accordingly (laughs) so sex with Dr. Jess where where do we even get started with this like, how do we even how do we even dive in? Like, I feel like there's so many people that the spark is gone or they never had it. Just I think this is kind of like the lost world in so many ways <laughs> for so many people. It, it sure is. Yeah. And that's the big thing for even couples who are happy, even couples who get along and love one another. They're really just missing that spark. And I think that, you know, rom rom-coms and pop culture have sold us this unattainable dream of finding the one. And if you find the right one, the sparks will not only fly from the onset, but they'll be sustainable over time. And scientifically, that's just not the way things work, right? When you fall in love, you first meet someone, you you want a piece of them, you want to get them naked, you want to get your claws into them, but then, then you get to know them. <laughs> and inevitably, <laughs> with familiarity and with time and with comfort and with love, and with understanding and all the things we want. We can't live without those things. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, those areas of comfort and safety can chip away at the spark. And that's because there are actually two, let's call them processes or stages of love, right? When you first fall in love and you're feeling all of those things, you're feeling those butterflies, uh, you've got adrenaline, you've got norepinephrine, you've got fluctuations in serotonin, dopamine. Basically, the brain is awash in chemicals, so much so that when you examine the brains of people who are newly in love, they look like the brains of people who are using cocaine every single day. So it feels wow. really good for some people, but you can't You just cannot possibly survive in that state. And, you know, have you ever had butterflies in your tummy? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like that excitement. And that's such a cool feeling. But people think that that means, oh, it's true love or, oh, I've found the one. But in fact, butterflies are an anxiety and stress response to the unknown, to fear of rejection. Butterflies are your digestive tract and your anal sphincter (laughs) contracting in response to fear. So it's actually something that we tend to perceive negatively, but we flip it into a positive and then we get upset that we don't feel it in the long run. So that's kind of a long story to get to the point that if you want passion in your relationships, you have to make space for fear, for risk, for the unknown, for novelty. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, you're going to grab your partner and be like, okay, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go do something scary. We're going to go to sex club tonight. No, what it means is that 
you have to build the foundation of love and trust and understanding and communication, which is really in the work I do, so that you are so loved and so safe and so supported that you can go and do things that make you a little uncomfortable together, that you can do it in a place of safety. And it might be like an 80-20 split between comfort and risk. If you have a high risk profile tolerance, if you are a lower risk tolerance person, it might be 95-5. And the problem arises when in most couples, you're not going to be perfectly aligned. And so in that differential, issues can arise. So you just have to talk about it. (laughs) So going back to this butterfly thing, because in my head, I'm single right now and I've been single. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But It's one of those things for me. I'm like, I want those butterflies in the beginning. I want the, oh, this is exciting. And if I don't have that, this is exciting. I'm into them. I'm kind of like, eh. So I wouldn't necessarily say I rely completely on the butterflies, but I I do rely on, oh, first out of the gate, like, am I attracted to them? I mean, I think everyone's lying if, if they're like, oh, no, I don't even go by that. Bullshit. You go by that because if you're not even like attracted to them, are you even talking to them? Are you even going to message them? So first and foremost, it's like that attraction and then meeting or hanging out. Are there butterflies? Are there these feelings of, oh, wow, I really want to get to know this person even more. And then if I do, it's like, like you said, you get to know them, you hang out. Then if you're comfortable with them, can you go further with them? Is this something that is going to be sustainable? And I find myself getting to sometimes that comfortable part. And I'm like, nope. Nope. And it's almost like they let their guard down after a couple months. And it's like, you had false advertising there, sir. Like you were this way and then completely switched to this way. So that's where I yeah, well, pretty those, much stop. Yeah, I think that's not an uncommon experience. Those are two different things, though, I would say. Okay. The passionate or limerence love leading to comfort attachment stages uh, versus somebody who hasn't been honest about who they are. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I do think that the dating world is shaped so much there's so much competition we feel like we're selling ourselves we feel as though we need to be everything as opposed to just sitting uh in the in the you know enjoyment of getting to know someone so that sucks as an experience i'm sorry you're going through that i i it doesn't surprise me but the false advertising i think that people don't even realize they're doing it i think that okay. there's just so much pressure to be everything to be liked and then here's the really important piece none of us have been trained or equipped to deal with rejection. And so none of us want to go in and be anything less than not only the best version of ourselves, but some unattainable version that's more marketable because we don't know how to go on a date and have someone say like, you you seem nice, but this isn't a connection, right? So we do everything we can to be, I don't know, more outgoing or more funny or richer or more charming or more energetic or more positive. Uh, and none of those are, you know, necessarily bad things. Maybe that helps to shape you into more of those things if that's what you want to attain. But I think the bottom line is we haven't been trained in rejection. Mm-hmm. We've normalized avoiding rejection. And that's a very Western, uh, I think, Western cultural experience that we're strong and we're tough and you know we can we can do anything and if you put your mind to it you can have anything and if you have the right mindset and if you get rid of your limiting beliefs like kind of that coaching industrial complex of we can make you anything instead of we're just human beings we're all imperfect right. we'll have some amazing connections we'll have some short-lived connections and not everything has to lead to getting getting the girl or getting the guy or getting sure. the partner I've met quite a few people and being on TikTok, I've met a lot of people and they're kind of like, oh, hey, I think you're attractive. You know, they try to chit chat with me, whatever. And that's great. I'm all for it. But then I realize you're not really what I want. You're not my cup of tea. And I end up being really good friends with them because it's for me, it's like, oh, I think you're a cool guy, but I'm just not into you in that way. Obviously, if I thought you're cool, why can't we be friends too? So it's just like we end up having a really good friendship and ends up being no one really gets hurt in that situation either, right? It's like, I think you're cool. I think you're cool. Well, I don't really think this is a love connection, but we can be besties. And it just kind of, it naturally transforms that way, which is really good. But I think because- I love that. I think because I'm older, I'm 47, I'll be 48 in March. And I think for me, I'm just, I've learned a lot. I don't, I don't know everything. I do not know everything by any means. But I approach relationships of- I want you to know me out of the gate. If you know I'm stubborn out of the gate, if you know I'm passionate out of the gate, if you know I'm going to love you to the ends of the earth out of the gate, if you know me 
out of the gate, then this has a better chance of lasting and you not being like, oh, wait, that's how you are. And I expect that from a partner, but I don't always get that. So it's like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's why so I'm you need single. to train people in that. You you need to be training people in that because then, unfortunately, there's an there are industries built on the opposite, right? Which is sort of like manipulating and tricking people and how to get the person, as I said, as opposed to how to connect, how to figure mm-hmm. out. Because why would you want to sell an alternative version of yourself that either you are not or you don't want to be or is totally unattainable and have somebody connect with you based on that. I get it. People are lonely. And I was reading some data yesterday that, uh, you know, it's somewhere around 58 to 61 percent of people are experiencing loneliness. And so Mm -hmm. we do. We have this fear of being alone. We have a fear that we can't attract someone. We also have too much sauce put into this notion that our validity is tied to getting a partner. Wow. Right. You are more valid. Mm-hmm. And there's so much stigmatization of single folks um, and, and judgment around, well, why are you single? Well, some people opt to be single. That's some funny. people I like the lifestyle that. of being single. I get it. If you're attractive and you're successful, why in the world are you single? I explain it. When someone can meet what I'm wanting and match my energy, and it doesn't mean they have to be on the go all the time or active all the time like I am. It just means my energy of putting forth. I'm kind. I I will think about you. I will send those messages. I will do those things. So when they match that kind of my love language energy, then I won't be single. But until then, I have a 10-year-old son. I am very busy. I don't have time for the BS of the charade, right? right? Of, well, I'm this great guy and I'm this. And then you just see that they're not. Because I watch. I, I take a step back and I'm, I'm if they're on social media, I watch their posts. I watch their comments. I watch those things to see what is your true intention on things. And I think so many people just run and jump in with these blinders on and say, oh, no, no, they're attractive. They say they're into me. Here we go. Here I am. And they just open up their heart and it's like, you're bound to get hurt that way, I think, by just not yeah, watching. absolutely. I- I think your approach is exactly what makes sense to me for dating. I know there are so many dating coaches will talk about how you can change yourself to attract the right person. And I'm not saying that we can't all grow. And I'm not saying that we don't all have room for improvement. But I think it's uh, very frightening to me that you ought to consider changing yourself at your core. That that makes zero sense to me. That makes zero sense. Absolutely. At the end... Right. At the end of let's just say at the end of the relationship, because it's going to end and it's probably going to end quicker than later. But at the end of that relationship, you're pissed off. Right. Because you've changed and that's not you or you get to that end of that relationship and you're like, this is not me and I can't keep doing this anymore. So no matter what, you're entering it into a false state. I, I always say this. My dad, God rest his soul. He would say guys marry girls hoping they'll never change. Girls marry guys hoping hmm. they'll change. <laughs> Hmm. That's and so I, sad. Really. It, on, on, it is. on both ends, because 100% you will grow and you will change. You know, I've been with my partner since I was basically, you know, I was in co- first year university. And thank God we've grown and changed 20 years later. Like, I wouldn't want to be with that same 20, 20, I forget, maybe he was 22 or 23 when we met. So we need that growth. But you can't get your claws into someone and hope that you can shape them into the partner that you want. And actually, this goes back to a big part of my work, which is helping people to understand that you cannot have all your expectations met. I think, the, um, you know, we've seen some shifts in generational behaviors where maybe our parents didn't communicate as much. Uh, that generation may, I don't want to say they didn't communicate, but maybe they didn't get into emotional literacy discussions. Maybe there wasn't as much preparation for understanding all the realms of the relationship, the practical to the relational, to the emotional, to the sexual, to the spiritual, like the type of work I do with people. We're prepping for that. We're digging into it. However, I do think that one of the challenges we face with the next generation who wants to talk about everything and Mm -hmm. get support is this notion that we can force a square into a circle, that we can make anything work. And that's simply not the case. Not everything is attainable. Not everybody is going to be a fit. So I always talk about the fact that you don't have a soulmate. There's not like one person out there, someone in the the world, you know, living in Papua New Guinea, who is the perfect person for you. It's just not mathematically possible. You can make work 
to different people. You can love different people. Love Mm -hmm. is infinite, right? Like, you know that if you have multiple kids, you think that you love one so much and you can't imagine loving anyone so much. Then you have another one and you love them just as much for the second. No, just kidding. (laughs) Firstborn child here. (laughs) You love them just as much. So, you know, really love is this thing that we can make work with many people, but you can't force it to work either. And so we need to put the investment in, right? We need to understand what it is we want. We need to be clear about it. Uh, and we need to understand that somebody is not going to meet all of your expectations. You cannot depend on one person to fulfill all of your social, sexual, emotional, psychological, relational, practical. I mean, I could go on and on spiritual needs. Mm -hmm. If your partner doesn't do something that you want, you can ask them and maybe they will accommodate, but also maybe they won't. And you have to find another way to have that need fulfilled. We often turn to our partners and say, make me feel this way. Right. Okay. They can support you in feeling or evoking an emotion, but primarily your emotions are on you. So maybe we say it's 80, 20 or something in a relationship. So I can't say, oh, I need my partner to make me feel, for example, an issue I run into all the time. Well, he needs to make me feel sexy. Okay, cool. Do you make yourself feel sexy or do you speak negatively and think negatively about your body? Are you always trying to change something? Do you never feel you're good enough? Are, do you have negative body image that's rooted in, you know, notions of patriarchy and Eurocentric norms of beauty? Are you engaging in that material all day long and then going to the bedroom and being like, make me feel sexy? That's, a, you know, a kind of an oversimplified example. But, but it's again, real. it is not that is real. It, it really is. And um, so we put too much on our partners sometimes. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a beautiful, loving, amazing relationship and accept that your partner can't be everything to you all the time. And it's not, it's just not fair. I mean, it really isn't. If you're not able to do that for yourself, why are you putting all that pressure on your partner to do it for you? And, and you know, it's the whole cliche, well, you don't be with someone unless you're happy with yourself. And I, I think that is correct, but dive into it more and don't just say that. Like it's, it's you really got to dive in and say, okay, I have to be happy. I know how, I have to learn what even makes me happy. If I don't even know what makes me happy, but I'm saying, hey, you need to make me happy. Well, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. No, that's not it either. That's not very fair. You know, you have to have that open line of communication and say, hey, I'm happy when this happens or I, this makes me happy when we do things together or whatever it might be. But if you can't even do that for yourself, man, that is a doomed relationship from the start. Do ever it's so Absolutely. dependent, right? You're you're dependent, and that's just not a way for anyone to live. That's a lot of pressure on a person in general. It it really is, and we need to get into our whys as well. I think people are getting better at saying what they want and what they don't want, mm-hmm. but they're not offering the context required for another individual with a totally different upbringing, different traumas, different triggers, different background, different you know familial and you know uh, upbringing experience. They are not giving them the context. So you'll say something like, well, I, you know, I, I, it feels good when you buy me gifts. You never buy me gifts. Okay, cool. But let's explain why. Like, how does it make you feel? What were the models growing up that made you feel like that is something important to you? Are you modeling that behavior back to your partner? You know, with Valentine's Day, for example, we'll always run into people who are upset that their partner didn't do anything for them. And I want to say, well, did you do anything for your partner? Mm -hmm. Have you had a conversation about why Valentine's Day is important to you? Or are you expecting them to mind read? Because guess what? Some people value Valentine's Day. Some people don't. You know, my partner and I, we don't celebrate. This is a busy season for me. I'm on the road. But we've talked about it, right? I'm not sitting there saying, oh, well, I hope that, you know, I'm, I get some roses in my hotel and then pissed that he didn't send them. I have mm-hmm. to say, listen, you know, this is something that matters to me. And I'm, I'm making this up because it's certainly not true. But I could say like, you know, my dad always used to do this for my mom and they mm-hmm. had such a happy relationship. And so I have it in my head that when you do this for me, it means that you love me. Uh, and the problem is people test their partners. They use specific behaviors as barometers as to whether or not the relationship is positive, strong, worthwhile, valuable, fulfilling, etc. And your barometers may not align with your partner's barometers. They may show you that they love you in other ways. And so again, you have to explain not only what you want, but why you want it. And, and if you don't want something, let's say with Valentine's Day, like couples are often fighting about, I want to celebrate and other people will say, no, it's just a greeting card Hallmark right. holiday. <laughs> cool. Neither of you is right and neither of you is wrong, but hopefully you care about each other enough and you have strong enough communication skills to say, you know what, I feel that it's, it's a, 
unnecessary holiday. I'd rather celebrate every day. I feel that I invest in the relationship every single day. And I always tell people, forget Valentine's Day, focus on the other 364 days a year. What can you do in one minute a day to make your partner feel special? I always advocate for 60 second favors. And I don't mean the things that we do to keep our households running, but what can you do for someone you love? It doesn't have to be a partner to make them feel important in 60 seconds. Is it a thoughtful text? Is it a hand massage? Is it bringing them a warm towel when they get out of the shower? Is it bringing them a fruit plate? Is it you hear them on a phone call that sounds very stressful and you go up behind and rub their shoulders just for 30 to 60 seconds? Those small investments are going to pay off far more significantly than grand gestures once a year. And I'm not saying you can't have the grand gestures. If Valentine's is a good reminder to invest in the relationship, go ahead and do it. But if it's just turning into pressure and overpriced meals and difficulties getting a reservation at a restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, and tension between the two of you, forget it. Just invest in the relationship more regularly. Prioritize it. Let's talk about the sex part. How important do you think sex is in a relationship in general? So that's interesting. So one thing I do in all of my sessions, and I'm on this tour now, so I'm doing workshops every day. I ask people, how important is sex in a relationship on a scale of one to 10? One being it's the lowest importance, 10 being it's the highest. And I say one, two, three, and I have them all scream it out. So, you know, 100 people in a room and you'll hear 10s, you'll hear ones, you'll hear sixes. And that really speaks to the reality of Sex is exactly as important as it is to you. And so I do an exercise with people called sexual values, where you have to look at what does sex mean to you? What are the emotional, practical, relational, spiritual, physical elements of sex that matter to you? Why does it matter to you? What were the early messages around sex that you received growing up? And do you value those messages today? Or do you want to rewrite them? So I'm not avoiding the question, but I cannot tell you how important sex is because for some couples, it's at the top of the list. And for other couples, it's down low. And that's because our desire for sex um, varies, obviously, from person to person. I will say this. Sex is very important in relationships because it is a source of conflict commonly. It is something that we fight about. It is something that causes tension, especially when there are differentials in desire, especially when there is a lack of sex or a perceived lack of sex. And we cannot absolutely expect two people to align sexually in terms of frequency, fantasy, core erotic feelings, and, and you know, want sex at the same time in the same amounts every day for the rest of their lives. It's not realistic. And so sex becomes important because we don't talk about it, right? If you come to my house and I'm serving chicken wings and I eat 15 chicken wings, I don't assume that you want 15 chicken wings. I ask you how many chicken wings you want. And maybe I also like chicken feet and I like super hot sauce. Well, I don't assume that you also like chicken feet with super hot sauce. It's super simple. I say to you, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want the ranch dressing? Do you want the honey garlic? We communicate about it without shame, without stigma. But we don't do that around sex with the person with whom we are most close and intimate. And so we have to just start these conversations to determine how important sex is. Because the reality is sex varies from person to person. There are folks who are asexual, Mm -hmm. who experience no sexual attraction. There are folks who are high in the sexual excitement scale who want to have lots of sex. There are folks who want to be monogamous. There are folks who want to be consensually non-monogamous. And the only rule is that you can make zero assumptions. You have to have open, honest conversations. But as you said, oftentimes we don't even know what we want. We don't even know our own sexual values. And if you don't mind, I'll plug my podcast. So I have a podcast as well called the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And all of the exercises, many of them that I do in session, my partner and I will do on the podcast, like with, we never listen to it. We never edit it. We just have the conversations that I'm in mini conversations um, that, that I'm encouraging other couples to have in order to improve their relationships. So we have one on sexual values where we just talk about what sex means to us. And the the cool thing about all of these conversations and the amazing thing about relationships and the reason why relationships can be loving, deep, meaningful, and hot for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and beyond is because these things are always changing. If we had done the sexual values exercise 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years into the future, it's always going to be different. And thank God. And I think that's another mistake we make. We say, oh, I already talked to my partner about that. Uh, It is not a one-time conversation. Like, imagine you did that with your hairdresser. I only want the same haircut for 50 years, right? It probably doesn't make sense or any other realm of your life. 
right? Well, the waiter knows me. He knows that I have this dish this way every single time for the rest. Of no, it doesn't make sense. We continue to change. We continue to converse. And that's what we need to see in relationships if we want to have them not only happy in the long run, but hot as well. So do you think having these discussions early on when you first start dating someone, that's super important? Like, hey, I like having sex all the time. Hey, I random places or this or that. Like, is that something someone should tell their partner? Because if not, and that person's like, oh, no, I don't even like to touch people. <laughs> like, that could be a big yes. issue, right? Okay. I never Absolutely. even really you thought, don't have to yeah. You don't have to do everything. Like, you don't have to share your innermost fantasies. Sure. And it's going to change over time. Let's be honest. You generally want more sex in the beginning of the relationship. And then life can set in, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe you have kids. Maybe you get busy with work. Maybe you're traveling. Maybe you experience a death in the family. We are not, uh, you know, in a static state of existence. Everything is always in fluctuation. No, that that makes perfect sense. I'm going to ask a few questions that people have asked me, right, to ask you. And the first one, probably a big one, is why is it so hard for guys to know what we want in the bedroom? Yeah, so I have no judgment here of anyone who doesn't know what to do sexually because we do not have sex education that acknowledges not only pleasure, but the variations in pleasure across the body. Mm -hmm. We have not even learned about the anatomy. So, uh, you know, for those of you who are watching on video, but I'll describe it obviously for the audio, we have not even learned about our own anatomy. So I carry around with me a vulva puppet and a vulva is everything that's on the outside. The vagina is what's on the inside, but more importantly, Most of us don't even know about the clitoris or the clitoris. I'm Canadian, so I say clitoris. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to interject real quick. Send this to whoever that you would like to send this to. There's no judgment. No one's going to get upset. But I'm looking at a vagina, right? Well, a puppet one. I'm not looking at a real one. But I'm looking at one, and she's going to explain this so well that I think your partner, man or woman, doesn't matter, would really, really find this educational. Absolutely. And I want to just say no judgment if you don't know this stuff. Yeah. If you don't learn it in school, where are you supposed Absolutely. to learn it? So most most of us believe that the clitoris is this tiny little pea-sized bump at the top of where the labia meets. So most of us know where that is, but that in fact is not the clitoris. That is only the head of the clitoris. The clitoris has many parts. It has a head, it has a shaft, it has a foreskin, it has tubes that fill with blood, it has two legs, and two inner bulbs. So they're not inside the vaginal canal, but most of it is inside the body. And the reason I always talk about the vulva first is that if you want to stimulate the entire clitoral complex, which is homologous to the entire penis, you're probably going to want to rub the entire lips, labia, vulval area. So the clitoral complex, the full clitoris, is comprised of erectile tissue. So it gets boners. Everybody gets boners. And I already mentioned that it's got a head, a shaft, a foreskin, and tubes that fill with blood to get erections. So what does that mean? It is just like the penis. So you can't imagine taking a penis and just poking on the head of it, only stimulating the head of the penis. And that's what so many people are doing with the clitoris. They're only poking on the head, treating it like it's an elevator button or a doorbell, trying to get somebody to come down ineffectively. Whereas if you learn to I, stimulate Listen, the I would entire... love to send this to my last five. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> listen, and, and again, so here's what we know. The data tells us that in the absence of comprehensive sex education, and I, I come from a teaching background. I was a high school teacher, and that's how I fell into this field. Uh, in the absence of comprehensive sex education that acknowledges and celebrates pleasure, our number one source of sex education is porn. And mm-hmm. porn is not intended to be educational. Right. I'm not saying there's nothing you can learn there, but you don't watch a car chase movie and say, okay, that's how I should drive. You don't watch The Real Housewives uh, and say, oh, well, that's how I should you know, run a business or that's how I should have a relationship. Sure. Absolutely not. So this, these are, and at least those are reality shows. Porn is a performance. It is produced. There are many parts of porn that you do not see in the background, like communication and testing and preparation and all the foreplay and stopping and starting and taking breaks and issues, things go wrong and you just stop 
and start again. Can but we just discuss like highlight reel? Was it from porn? Where did these guys learn to literally rub so hard? Like they're trying to give you an Indian burn. Like, I don't understand where this was this high school education. Like who told everyone that's what this is supposed to be? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> I think it actually has to, to do with status around lubrication because you can rub a lot harder and it can feel a lot better if you use lots of lubrication. But we've got this notion that if you are turned on, you'll be soaking wet. And that is not necessarily true. That is true for some people. But your diet, your hormones, your stress levels, chemistry in the body, um, your, your menstrual cycle, where you are in your life can affect uh, even like your mood, all of these things, sleep, diet, all of these things can affect whether or not you get wet. So you can be very, very turned on and be dry as a desert and you can just be driving in the car and all of a sudden you're wet and you're not aroused. And so if people would just use lubricant, we could do so much more with the vulva. But I think, you know, the question, going back to the question, why do they know what not know what to do? Mm -hmm. Because we've never really given them the opportunity to formally learn. Do you mind if I, I do have a course if people want to check it out? Absolutely. I'm sure a bunch couples, of people, yeah. Yeah. So happiercouples.com, I have a mind-blowing oral course, but it's not just oral. It's hands, mouths, toys, specifically for the clitoris. And I also have one for the penis. So if, you, uh, if you're a straight person and you want your partner to learn about, if you're a straight woman, you want to learn about the clit, get your par partner to learn first and say, if you learn, I'll go take the blowjob one and the handjob one, and I'll learn how to do the Claudia and the handjob move that ends all blowjobs. So it, it's just important to keep learning. Listen, in every area of our, area of our lives, from health to wealth, to fitness, to, sure. you know, mental well-being, we learn, we formally invest. But in when it comes to sex, we don't. We have no sources of information. We don't formally invest. And investing in the relationships and investing in your sex life is the most important piece to fulfillment. But don't you think it's also that connection piece when you are wherever you are, we'll just say bedroom, right? You're in the bedroom. You have to take cues from your partner and you have to actually listen and watch and just be in that moment. I mean, if they're like cringing. There's so many layers to that. One is that we should be comfortable saying, hey, that doesn't work. Here's what I like. And then we need to know our bodies, which it sounds like you do, but a lot of us don't, right? We haven't gotten to know what works for us. So there is such value in just self-pleasure, right? Sure. In trying out different techniques, trying out different toys, knowing what works for your body. Uh, and then, like you said, the second piece is communication, right? To be able to talk about, here's what I'm into, here's what I'm not into, here are right. the spots that feel good. Uh, and also knowing where in the arousal cycle to approach you. So the way they touch you at the very beginning when mm -hmm. you're not aroused might be very different than what you like when you're very close to orgasm, right? Because the oxytocin, the adrenaline flooding the body, it has like a relaxation effect. It helps to lower inhibitions. It has a palliative effect. So things that might've felt uncomfortable in the beginning when you're highly aroused, right. really close to orgasm, it can feel good, but we have to communicate that. And then the other piece is that no two people are alike, sure. right? People's needs are not universal. And so they might have had a partner who really liked one thing, and that may have been in the beginning, and now they're doing that to every single partner along the along the line. I definitely think that you can tell when someone, how can I say this, either hasn't been with anyone else or hasn't had a lot of experience or is a very selfish partner. Being with yeah. someone and you're kind of like gently telling them or you're you're making those movements of not liking that and they don't understand. And like you said, it, it's almost a someone told you they liked that and you're by sure God going to keep doing that to no matter who you're with, like you're going to keep doing that. So I think people need to also hear that you need to be a little more open and receptive of, of being aware of what you're doing and looking at, I don't know, I think a good partner kind of, I don't want to say maybe feeds off of the other partner as well, right? Like they can sense what's going on and what they like and they don't like. But I don't know, maybe maybe that's just a sign of just being selfish. Maybe I've been with some very selfish people. <laughs> It sounds like it. Yeah. I and mean, there are lovers who are selfish. And, and sometimes it's because, you know, it's their attitude. They just want to get theirs. And sometimes it's because they really don't know. Mm -hmm. They really believe that this is, is going to feel good. And they don't know how to pick up on your cues. They don't know how to listen in the moment. They're too excited. They're moving too quickly. And that's why conversations about sex 
sex can be effective in the bedroom, but you also want to be talking about sex outside the bedroom. So even if it's with a new partner and you're dating, it's okay to talk about like, well, I'm really into this or I'm not into that. And that's, that's, you know, the norm for those of us in the kink community, because it's something that we talk about from the onset. I think, uh, you know, those of us who are queer, similarly, there's a little bit more conversation that's open. Um, I think younger people are having these conversations over text. And I think that we, you know, we have so much to learn and we just, need to slow down and not feel badly about it. I think another piece is that we don't want to ask what our partner's into because we don't want to seem like we don't know, but you don't know. You do yeah, not I know. I would rather, if you sex right, with- right. If someone's like, I'm all for this and I'm like, whew, yeah, that's not my wheelhouse. I would rather know that early on and be like, "It, you know what? We can be besties and you can tell me all about your escapades, but I'm not like, I'm okay with not doing that. Let's talk about, you said quickly, there is a big debate. If a man goes real quick, people think it's either he's very into you or he hasn't had a lot of sex or it's been a while. What would what would your take be on that? Um, oftentimes it's anxiety, actually. So like oh. when we talk about pre- premature ejaculation, it's often, t- I mean, let's put medical causes aside, um, it's usually anxiety, right? So maybe it's happened once or twice, and then they get in their head about it. And you've kind of got the nervous system reacting in the opposite way that doesn't allow you to relax and enjoy the moment. And so I I wouldn't, I I don't really think it has to do with the partner. Honestly, I think partners tend to personalize it. But uh, I, I think that it's usually to do oftentimes to do with anxiety. So and yes, it could be that they haven't had sex in a while. But that's not necessarily true, because they could just go masturbate. Right. And maybe they've abstained from everything. But, yeah, it's oftentimes anxiety. I think girls want to think that or or the partner, girls or guys, you know, depending. uh, I think the partner wants to think if he does go early, it's a sign that they're either really good or that person's really into them. So that's interesting. I've never heard the anxiety side of it. Oh, so I don't really hear the the other side um, because I'm treating the men with with what we call like premature ejaculation or rapid okay. ejaculation. Okay. And you're never hearing like, oh, it's because she was so good. Or I'm not saying that there couldn't be something that they've never felt before that could feel good in the moment. Sure. But if it's happening more consistently, that's probably anxiety or something that they want to have checked out. Okay. And what about the the flip side of it? Not being able to get an erection. Like how many times in a row would you say, okay, now it's time for you to get checked out? Yeah, so you should definitely get checked out. And that's actually a really important piece. So guys are less inclined to go get medical support. However, when the issue manifests itself in a sexual um, sexual issue or sexual dysfunction, that is a, a motivating factor for them to go to the doctor. So erectile dysfunction, any erectile issues can be signs of other medical issues. So number one, you should get checked out, mm-hmm. have any medical causes ruled out. And then if the medical causes are ruled out, again, it often comes down to anxiety. You're worried you're not going to get an erection and then your body can't go into the relaxation response that allows the blood to flow in and get trapped in. So oftentimes it's anxiety. Again, it's not about the partner. Partners tend to personalize it right. and think like, oh, I did something wrong or they're not attracted to me or, you know, that, that it's a relational dynamic when oftentimes it comes back to anxiety and mindfulness exercises um, can be part of that treatment. I love that. So not to, not if it happened just one time, is it repeatedly then they should go or what would you say? So I'm not a physician, so I don't want to offer a number, but I would say that if like, so if, yeah, if you lose your erection one time because you were nervous or you lose your erection because you were drinking, uh, I would be less concerned. But if it's happening, um, listen, we should all be getting checkups regularly uh, and you can see, see a urologist or see your doctor and see if you should see a urologist. I mean, a good barometer is to see how you respond when you're on your own. So for example, if you're still waking up with morning erections and you're, you're still experiencing those erections, or if you're masturbating and you're still having regular erections, uh, then it's probably, I I don't want to diagnose. I have no qualifications to diagnose, but sounds like your erectile functioning is working. Uh, But listen, if you have access to a medical practitioner, it never hurts to bring it up and ask. And people are so shy and so full of shame and so avoidant that the moment you think something's up, go and get it checked out. It's better to get it checked out and ruled out than to let it fester and, you know, avoid the important conversations. I love that. And I love the fact that you said it. it's not the partner because I know people will where this has happened in the relationship and the female is like, he's just not attracted to me. And it's like, no, that's not necessarily true. You know, you guys go figure that out. Let's switch gears and talk about the emotional side, because growing up, 
like I said, Gen X, growing up, my parents didn't really have a lot to say, right? I feel like it's my generation and on that's kind of like, let's open up and let's talk about this. I just don't feel like it was it was discussed. I mean, it was even at a point where my mom's like, well, you should marry the person that you have sex with. And I think that was in my head in the beginning. I ended up getting engaged to the person that I had sex with. And I was like, I don't even like this person. I can't do this. And I ended up like canceling everything. I just couldn't do it. I mean, it didn't get to a point where we had planned anything, but we were engaged. And I'm like, absolutely not. This is not what I want with my life. It was not discussed emotionally how it can affect you when you have sex with someone. So do you feel that women get more emotionally invested when they have sex with someone than men? Or how do you feel about the emotional So I'll say two things. Yeah, in my observations, that is not true. But I do think there are social pressures to remain attached for women, exactly what you just described. Is there some evolutionary psychology research that tries to suggest that, um, you know, there's a chemical released when you have sex with someone? Listen, many of the chemicals that are released when you have sex with someone are also released when you share a meal, when you have food, when you, you know, there are lots of different ways to bond. Uh, I think there's sociocultural pressure on women to feel more attached. And I want to say this, it varies from person to person. Some people consider sex a highly emotional relational experience. They don't want to go out and have casual sex. They want to attach sex to love. And if that is in line with your values, then that's perfect for you. For some people, it's spiritual, right? And that's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. For other people, sex is just a physical act and that works for them. So I think what we really have to acknowledge is that most of us have difficulty not generalizing and universalizing our singular experience to everyone. We project our issues Mm -hmm. onto other people. When somebody says to you like, oh my God, I can't believe you're, you're single, you're a catch. What they're really saying is, what I want is to be partnered. Therefore, what she wants ought to be to be partnered, right? We mm. project our our individual experiences. So if, for example, you fall in love when you have sex, you assume that everybody's the same, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not true. Our bodies are all unique. Our emotional experiences are all unique. Our body chemistry, our brain mm-hmm. structure and response is highly unique. People are not, you know, we talk about being neurotypical or neuroatypical. It's a spectrum, right? And you may even find that how you feel in your 20s is different than how you feel in your 40s or 50s. Absolutely. Hands down. I mean, I think back to my 20s and then I think now and I'm like, wow, I would never do, (laughs) I would never do this, this, and this. That just does not align with where I'm kind of like, rooted in now. It It's just not. And I think some of it is learning, you know, from the mistakes or I shouldn't say mistakes. I hate to say that. Learning from some of the experiences, right? Because all of the things that happen make us who we are now. So those, those experiences, well, yeah, those were, those were quite interesting. <laughs> I think it was just a different, <laughs> different time. It was a different time. But I'm glad that you said that because I feel like we are so pushed in and and thought to believe that all men kind of feel this way about relationships or sex and and women feel this way. And so I'm glad that you're explaining it the way you are. I, and I should add that there are, you know, there's some research suggesting that men are in fact more emotional than women. So when they do certain, there's been some studies with brain scans where you ask people, and I'm not talking specifically about sex, but more generally with emotional response, women will express their emotions more freely. But when they look at the brain response and the emotional centers of or the centers that they associate with emotion in the brain, they'll see more activity in men. So there is pressure on women to, for example, express themselves emotionally, attach an emotional element to sex. And there's pressure on men to be the opposite. And so that's mm-hmm. why we really just need to eradicate gender gender and be individuals instead. I love that. I'm say, raising okay. my son that way. I'm, I'm raising my son. Let me be clear on this. I'm raising my son to have thoughts, to have feelings, to have emotions, to not feel like he has to suppress those. So I'm not raising him to anything other than just be a human and and love life and enjoy and be able to say, hey, I like that. Hey, I don't like that. Hey, that does make me sad. It's okay to, to be that way because I do feel like we do put a lot of pressure, as you stated, on each gender. You need to hold it all together. You need to go ahead and, and be the one that cries. You need to be this. You need to. Uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want him to be connected. Right. Just. Yes. In every Every facet. And I just want to add that there are layers to that when we think about the intersections of race and culture 
and age and body type mm-hmm. and in all of these things that put even more pressure mm-hmm. on people. And we do need to work to dismantle the systems that are propping those harmful messages up. And honestly, if I could, you know, talk about emotional literacy instead of sex, I'd be happy to do that because it is, you know, one of the most important things in the way we relate to one another and the way we move through the world, understanding our feelings. So I, I love that you're raising your son to have permission to feel. I'm not saying I have a manual or that I'm perfect, but I'm trying to do my best with that. I am definitely, like I said before, I I like to sit back and watch and analyze. And as I watch certain things and I see things and I, I see these teenage boys and then these young adults just emotionally feel like they're so stressed out because they can't say that's really hurting my feelings or that that's sad to me or that's this, that's that. Growing up, everything was so suppressed. You didn't talk about sex. You didn't talk about your family. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. You, it was like, uh. And so I've had to learn so much on my own in hurtful way. You know, some have been in, in real hurtful ways. And you're just like, man, that really sucks. I wish someone would have said this to me. So when we discuss having you on, I'm like, absolutely. Because people are not only lost in how to connect with their partner. I mean, so many people have lost that spark, don't know how to get it back. Just connecting sexually either way, people are like, well, I don't, did, did I do that right? Are they happy with me? Are they not? I mean, I think one of the worst things is having sex with someone and then literally they don't call you the next day or you don't communicate the next day or I don't think people understand what that does to someone. Not that that person's probably going to get attached and be like, oh, I want to be with them forever. But when you do that, what is that person emotionally going through? Oh, wait, did I just get used? Oh, was I not good enough? Was I this? Was I that? And I think... People just deserve it's a lot of pressure. It is. It really is. So it's a lot of pressure. I know that this is happening to I people think that, out there. So I want to bring this up. Yeah, I think if we kind of shift our mindset to was it good for me? Did that feel Ooh. good for me? Did it align with my values? Because I, I'm guessing you're talking more about like straight women. And I do think that for women oh, there's well, this pressure to both. Because I had a friend. Both. Okay. I had a friend who she was with someone and then that person was they basically ghosted right after like the next day so i think either it does, yeah. i don't know either way yeah and i like you said it leaves people wondering but mm-hmm. if you can a focus on yourself um and and say like did that work for me right did i enjoy that do i do i want something more but also if you can have these conversations from the get go like is this something casual or are we just hooking up um or and and also clarify your values. So if you want to talk to someone the next day, if you have sex with someone and you want that to be part of an ongoing relationship, say so. Mm-hmm. But again, it goes back to exactly what you brought up in the beginning, which is that we have been, I think, encouraged to portray ourselves in early dating as what we think other people want, mm-hmm. as opposed to just being who we are. But if you are, and I'm not saying you have to be 100% comfortable with yourself or anything like that. Everybody deserves love. Um, but if you are able to say, you know what, I'm actually looking for something more serious. So if you're into something casual, then it's not going to be a fit. Then you're you're kind of laying the groundwork for that communication from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But I guess if if you're so scared, if you're saying, like, what can I do to get this person to like me? That's how we end up in these situations. And again, that's not a criticism of individuals. That's more, I think, a cultural norm that we need to start. But I think you're bringing at. awareness to that because many people don't understand that they're trying to conform into something somebody else wants them to be. And instead, they're like, you should coming to the table say, what do I want out of this relationship and and be honest about it? I mean, yeah, I, I really do. I, I'm glad that you said that because I think a lot of people have just learned something. They've had that light bulb right now as they're listening to this podcast. They probably had that light bulb up of, oh, wait, I've always been about what do they want instead of what do I want? What would this person want right. me to be? Or, you know, yes. Yeah. And you want both of those things. Like you want to obviously be considerate of somebody else's needs. Uh, But I think if you're considerate of your own needs, you're more likely to even ask them about theirs because obviously it's a two-way street. Absolutely. Okay. Give us maybe one or two tips for men and one or two tips for women on a sexual side. So if you had to give a tip for a woman pleasing a man, what would you say would be like your top tip of helping please their man? Like a physical tip? Yeah, physical tip. Oh, yeah, easy. 
easy. So two hands, fingers interlaced, more lube than you think you need, more pressure than you think you need. And you're, you're stroking and maybe doing a little pulse at the bottom. So that one's called the Claudia. Um, another option would be the cheater. So if you're going to put your mouth on it, uh, you know, your lips get tired, your jaw gets tired, et cetera, et cetera. So you put your lips on it, but you don't really do anything with your lips because you take your fingers to squeeze your lips tighter. So they're getting all the pressure from your fingers. So usually you need more pressure in at the end. And most people can't get enough pressure because they're not using enough lube or because they started too early. So don't go to those money moves until you've really riled them up. You want them to be like ready to go because you can't keep that up for very long. So that would be for a penis. And then for a vulva, um, I would suggest, well, I'll, first I'll suggest the pocket. So for the pocket, you take your hand and you put it on the pubic mound, which is that skin above the vulva. You fold your fingers over. Obviously, your vulva will be smaller than the vulva I'm using in the model here. And you're just stroking and rubbing gently there because when you grind against the pubic mound, it pulls on the foreskin of the clitoris, which gives the inner shaft of the clitoris a little hand job on the inside. So that's one tip. And then the other tip is to use sex toys, use vibrators. We know that, for example, only 24% of people with vulvas, vaginas, consistently orgasm from penetration alone. But if you use your hands, if you use your mouth, if you use toys, uh, I'm a huge fan of a, a couple of brands. I don't know if you want me to you, mention whatever, them or not. Listen, people but, are probably with pencil and paper right now wanting to know. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> so I'm a big I'm a big fan of, of the Womanizer brand and the WeVibe brand. They make really good products. Um, I have even a, a discount code if people are shopping at lovehoney.com. You can use, I think it's Dr. Jess 15 to save 15%, but they've got really big sales on right now. And just look for the Rose or the Womanizer toys. And I think those are really good options for the vulva. I've seen a lot of the roses like all throughout TikTok where people people are buying them and they're like, you have no idea what this what this can do. So what toys would you say for, obviously the Rose or something like that for a female, what about for the male? So I want to just say quickly that the technology that you're seeing in the rose, because mm -hmm. there's lots of, you know, knockoffs and whatnot, comes from Womanizer. So they are a German brand that pioneered this technology. There was nothing like it on the market until 10 years ago. And so there are lots of lawsuits out there and stuff, but it comes from Womanizer. So if you can buy a Womanizer toy or... Um, some of them are actually licensed, like the Love Honey Rose. Mm -hmm. The Love Honey Rose is licensed. So I'll just, I'll say that because there's lots going on in the background in the industry. And for any of us who are entrepreneurs or create content or create material, obviously we don't like people just taking our material and sure. changing one tiny thing about it or putting their name on it. So either the Love Honey Rose or the woman, any of the womanizer toys. And then okay. for the penis, I love the We Vibe Pivot. So it is a vibrating penis ring that okay. is powerful, rumbly. And if you're having sex with a person with a clit, it's designed to actually vibe against the clit. And it's uh, quite life-changing. So I love the WeVibe Pivot. Uh, the WeVibe Chorus is also kind of magical. It was the very first couple's toy that ever came onto the market 15 years ago. And it's a little U or C-shaped toy where the small arm fits into the vaginal canal against the G-spot and then the outer arm vibes against the clit and you can slide the penis in at the same time. So many exciting things that I think will spark, right? Or re-spark some relationships. When do you think you bring in the toys in a, in a new relationship? Uh, honestly, I mean, I think of, for a lot of young people and uh, for queer people, it's just the norm. Like there's no, like, it, listen, if somebody is intimidated or scared off by these things, there are two things that can come of that. A meaningful conversation about mm -hmm. what people are feeling and that can just deepen intimacy or you learn that you're not aligned, right? Like if you use sex toys all the time and you're being judged for using sex toys by a new partner, mm -hmm. judgment is really the antithesis of compatibility. So compatibility is not about wanting the same things. It's not about having the same fantasies or sharing the exact same sexual desire. It's about a lack of judgment and a willingness to put in a similar amount of effort. So if somebody's judging you, uh, that's either, I don't want to say a red flag because I don't think it's like you have to cancel someone immediately, but I think it's important to have a conversation about whether or not this is a fit. I love that we can be so open about this. Growing up, it was just so tight-lipped. So the fact that we're able to bring this to people makes my heart happy because 
let's be honest, it's going to make people are happier in the bedroom and even in relationships. So I love that. Okay. Absolutely. It's now to a point, because I know I always keep people way longer than I say, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're now at a point called the Savage Seven. I do seven rapid fire questions and then you get one skip. So you can answer them as slow as you want, but I'll, I'll ask them pretty quickly. Okay. Okay. You ready? Ready. All right. Number one, what's the most common position? Missionary. Okay. Two, how many times a week do you and your partner, or we could, if you don't want to talk about yourself. No, that's fine. We, I try for three. Three a week. Okay. Craziest place someone has told you that they've had sex. Sorry? The craziest place that someone has told you that they've had sex. Oh, my gosh. Everywhere. In the airplane seat. In a public airplane. (laughs) Like in a pod, but still. Not a pod with a wall. Just a regular pod. I'm thinking like Southwest Airlines is packed and someone's just literally sitting on someone. Don't mind us. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> the <Okay>. friendly skies. <laughs> now everyone's going to Southwest to book. Uh, we would like our feed for that, guys. <laughs> okay. Who, in your opinion, who likes sex more, men or women? I think... It depends on, okay, I'm going to say this. It depends on the partner. If the sex is good, I think it's equal. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. people don't want sex because it's their partner's not giving them what they need. or they, And I don't want to blame their partner. They haven't cultivated a sex life that feels good for them. I fit in that category. It's been awful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. The most successful position for conception. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, I don't know. <laughs> what would I'm you sorry. guess? What would you guess? Um, maybe with your legs up in the air, like with a woman with her legs up in the air so that I, the sperm can just get back there to the cervix. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Do piercings really help? Oh, for some people, it feels really good against a partner. For other people, um, it can be numbing and it doesn't feel good. So it really depends on the partner. Ooh. Okay. We already talked about the number one toy to have. So I guess you can answer that again. If let's say a couple only has $50 in their budget, what would be the one sex toy that you would say you have to have this? So if it's $50, the Love Honey Rose. That's going to, it's life changing. And it's on sale right now. Oh, there you go. It's pretty good. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Last question is a bonus question. What celeb, what celebrity do you think would be an amazing partner? Oh, this is so hard for me. Don't really know a lot of celebrities. Um, I think the Obamas. (laughs) (laughs) Are they celebrities? I'm Canadian. I'm not American. (laughs) They're so, they seem nice. (laughs) So you think their bedroom's rocking? (laughs) (laughs) I think that they've nurtured um, closeness that leads to more opportunities in the bedroom. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for coming on. I mean, I could keep you longer and tell you a lot of other things, but we will not. This is the time I allow my guests to have the floor if there's anything that you would like to tell the Simply Savage family. Now is the time. Oh, well, basically, you can just follow me, Sex with Dr. Jess, on Instagram and the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. If you want to learn, we talk about everything from emotional literacy to threesomes and everything in between. And my partner, Brandon, uh, co-hosts. I I thank you from the bottom of my heart because I do feel like this is going to change a lot of people's relationships and get them to explore a bit more in their own bedroom, get that spark back. And for new relationships, allow them to understand just being open and communicating. I really do respect you for helping change the world. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that's it for us. We're out. Are you
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.